my, my goal in the sermon today, threefold, okay? And these are, this is like big, but can I just say this is a big passage we're going to look at, okay? So these threefold goals today, uh, it's big. One, I want you to know that the God of the Bible is in control. God is the one who knows what he's doing and he brings up kings and he says, that's enough, you're done. Uh, our God, even when everything seems crazy and chaotic, our God is in control. And I tell you what, this passage shows that about as good as anything you're going to find. Second purpose or goal today uh, is I want to show you the Bible can be trusted. We are living in days where people just take shots constantly at God's book. And, and I want to show you that God's book reveals the unknowable. We're going to see today that the God inspired Daniel to write some things down that were totally unknowable. And when you know that the Bible reveals the unknowable, suddenly you can say, you know what? That's a book that can be trusted. It's proven itself. You look at Daniel 2, where we're going to go today, you say, wow, that is a book I can base my life on. And third, I want to show you that Jesus is the rock. And when you know the rock personally, he brings hope and peace and confidence, especially today, June 28, 2020. If you haven't already, locate second half of Daniel chapter 2 today, uh, more faith in the fire. Uh, I just need you to know that Daniel, most scholars, uh, most uh, conservative biblical scholars will tell you, Daniel is one of, if not the most attacked chapter verses, 12 chapters in all of God's Word. Daniel as, as a whole is hated, especially by those that don't want to believe that this really is God's inspired words. Because, track with me here, give me your eyes. If Daniel here today really did write this down 500 years before these events took place, then suddenly this isn't just some old ancient writing. This is prophecy. This is foretelling the future before it occurs. You tracking with me? And I'm telling you, as we look at it today, you're going to say, if that really was written 500 years before Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem, wow. The liberal scholars, the, the skeptics, the atheists who don't want to believe in God's book, they hate this about Daniel. They get it. They understand if, if, if he really wrote these things down, then he really is foretelling the future before it occurs. And it's so precise, and it's so accurate, and so on the money, they're just throwing everything they can at these 12 chapters, okay? So these are hated verses. Let me give you a couple examples. If you have your Bible on your phone, go to verse uh, chapter, chapter 1 and verse 2, okay? It says, um, liberal scholarship said there's no record of any ancient king stealing religious articles, putting them in their own temples, okay? Uh, therefore, it's obvious you can't trust Daniel. That attack went on 
for like a hundred years, okay? Nowhere in ancient archaeology is there any records of a king taking some religious articles, and that's what it says in verse 2, from the Old Testament temple, and then he took them back to Babylon and he put them into his God's temple. Never, never is that seen. Therefore, of course, you can't trust Daniel. Until about 40 years ago, uh, archaeologists unearthed several tablets that talked about specifically named King Nebuchadnezzar actually doing just that. Okay? So that, that was one attack. Uh, another one, go to verse 3. Uh, says there's no record of a guy named Ashpenaz, okay? And I, is that exactly how you say it? That's how I say it, okay? If you want to come up with a different way, Ashpenaz, okay? He's the chief of Nebi's court officials, and the skeptics said anybody that important would be included in the ancient record. And since we've never come upon any record anywhere that mentions Ashpenaz, therefore, obviously, Daniel can't be trusted uh, until about 60 years. Again, uh, it took a little while for archaeology to catch up with God's book. About 60 years ago, they found several references to Ashpenaz. Oh, this, this guy was not a figment of Daniel's imagination. So, you need to know People who, who don't want to believe in God's book, they hate this book. Because if it's really true, uh, suddenly now they've got a problem, okay? Um, today, we're going to look at one of the key prophetical pieces of the Bible, okay? So as we look at this today, understand uh, most commentators will tell you this dream unlocks the plan of God Almighty, Okay? So from the time of King Nebuchadnezzar all the way till Revelation 19 when Jesus come back, comes back in power and assumes uh, the king of the universe role, uh, that's what he's going to talk about today, okay? So this is big, it really is. Uh, with that as an uh, introduction, would you stand with me if you're able? We're going to start with verse 26. We're going to read down through verse 30. Um, and let's declare out loud. You know, want to know something? This is God's awesome word. And I don't use that, that word frivolously. This is awesome stuff, okay? You, you got to just kind of growl with it when you say it. It's awesome. You ready? You want to say it with me, okay? The, God's word is, what is it? It's awesome. Yeah, it is. It really is. Uh, here we go. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he's asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that passed through your mind, as you were lying in bed, are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, 
This mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you again for your word. I just want to say it one more time because it's true. You're awesome. And your book is awesome. So help us, Lord, to dig in and understand exactly what's going on today. Because you are the giver of dreams and the revealer of dreams. And you did that in Daniel's day, Lord. And you haven't changed. (laughs) You're still doing awesome stuff today. So as we dig into Daniel 2 today, might might we have the ability to see your wisdom and power to get your plan accomplished. And you have done just that. Uh, You even use some evil, proud, pompous human rulers to get your plans accomplished. That's how awesome you are. So once again, like we do almost every Sunday, we invite your son, Jesus Christ, to be welcome today in your church. Lord, would you let it rain? We we come, we, we invite Jesus streams of living water. We need recharging and refilling, Lord. It's been a long week. We're asking that uh, you'll come take charge in your church today, but more importantly, more personally, individually right now in my life. Fill each one with, with all that you've got, Lord. Lord, you've told us not to be controlled by alcohol, which leads to foolishness and shame, we desire, Lord, instead to be filled and controlled by your Spirit. That's where power, that's where good fruit comes from. So we drink love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Fill us up with all the good stuff, Lord. We're listening. We're ready to hear today from you. And all the church family at Walloon Lake Community Church, those watching online, as well as those present right here in the building, all of us said with one united voice, you can be seated. We've got some reading to do, y'all, okay? You'll just notice, uh, start with verse uh, 31 and you slide down and it, it's, it's a long chapter. So we're going to cover the entire rest of uh, Daniel chapter 2. So there's going to be lots of reading in the book, okay? Get it on your phone. Um, get it in your Bible. We'll try to put uh, lots of them up here uh, on the wall as well. Daniel Strzok will have his challenge back there today, keeping up. Okay, here we go. Verse 31. Let's get into the dream. Specifically, he says, You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue. An enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. Here's that word, okay? The the head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of bay clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. 
And, and this rocket struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. <laughs> that is quite a dream, right? Uh, here's an artist's rendering of what that statue might have looked like. There you go. Uh, notice a couple things. First, that at the top you have the most valuable, and that would be the head of gold. Uh, next now, the next most valuable metal would be silver on its chest and arms. Next in value is bronze for its belly and its thighs. And finally, the least valuable, uh, iron for its legs and iron mixed with clay for its feet. Now, here, here's what I think is, is interesting about what, what's going on here. Even though it's the most valuable, the gold is the softest metal. And the next softest metal, any guesses? Silver. Yeah. And then the next softest is bronze. And iron, even though not very valuable, is the strongest of these metals. Okay? So, Daniel first tells the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, here's what the dream is. Here's what you dreamed. And now he moves on with the interpretation. Here's what the dream means. Verse 36. This was the dream. Now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands... He's placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, wherever they live, he's made you ruler over all of them. You, Nebi, are that head of gold. At this time, Nebi was the king of the ancient world. He, everything that was known in the ancient world at that time, he was king of. Verse 39, after you, another kingdom will rise inferior to yours, not quite as dominant doesn't control quite to the extent you do. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there'll be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron. For iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and the toes were partly baked clay and partly of iron. So this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay." Verse 43, pause, four distinct kingdoms mentioned here, okay? Four distinct kingdoms, and then there's a fifth, uh, that final one, the, the iron mixed with clay, it's a mixture, kind of a mysterious kingdom, okay? 
key word here is kingdom. These are human kingdoms that dominate and control the entire ancient world. That's important to understand, okay? So kingdoms, four, and then a fifth that dominate and control the ancient world. Back to Daniel. He's going to get graphic now. Uh, Some stuff is going to happen right now, starting with verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure how long? This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true. This interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. Who's saying that right now? This is Nebi talking. For you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position, lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Is that not a wild and crazy dream? Now do you understand why Nebuchadnezzar couldn't sleep? Now, do you understand? That's exactly what he was dreaming about. That's what unsettled him so much. Now, what's cool here is that what Daniel ticks off for Nebuchadnezzar is the next world dominator, and then the next world dominator, and then the next world dominator, and then there's going to be this fifth one to come. So you can see history... Who followed the golden head of Babylon? Okay, got that slide back up there, Dan? Let's put it back up there. Who followed the golden head of Babylon? Okay, let's do some dates. We got there there um, on, on the left side, okay? It says from 606, and we know Babylon ruled till 536 B.C. History is really clear because when someone topples the current king of the planet, they want everybody to know. It's written all over. Uh, So uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was king of the world, and there was more gold, it's said, in Babylon than anywhere else in all of history. Everything was golden, shiny gold. Why? Because everywhere he went and conquered every nation, guess what his number one thing that he wanted from him? stole all their gold, okay? Took it back and put it to show off in Babylon, okay? In 538 B.C., before Christ, before Jesus born in a manger in Bethlehem, the Medes and the Persians came together and they attacked Belshazzar. Who's that? 
That's Nebuchadnezzar's son. So they came in and they ruled the ancient world for 200 years from 538 B.C. till 331 B.C., okay? Uh, in 331 B.C., the Greek Empire, okay? Think of Greece. The Greek en- Empire under Philip Macedon and his son, you'll know him. Ever heard of Alexander the Great? Okay? Uh, Alexander grabbed a hold of the slippery reins of world power. And Greek soldiers were known, they dressed in bronze helmets, bronze breastplates, bronze shields, and even bronze swords. <laughs> Interesting, okay? They owned the world for about 300 years. Until about 50 years before Jesus uh, appears in Bethlehem, took on human form, uh, there's, this, uh, there's this group of people known as the Romans under the Roman Caesars, 50 B.C., they begin overtaking the world, okay? They were the ones who were in charge during the events of the cross. It was the Romans, and uh, they were in charge. The Roman legions, they were the army known to crush all resistance, give me your eyes, with an iron heel. <laughs> they were all about iron in the Roman legions, okay? That, they were the last world power. How long did they? About 50 years before Christ was born, they ruled till about 500 A.D., after the death of Jesus Christ, okay? So got that? There we go. That leaves the final kingdom, okay? That, that fifth one, the one with iron mixed with clay, um, and, and I want you to know that one has yet to materialize. The last world-dominating power was Rome until about 500 A.D. Now, many other human rulers have tried uh, most notoriously would be Adolf Hitler with Nazi Germany, and they attempted to take over the world. Didn't happen, okay? So there hasn't been any world-dominating power or in control of the entire known world since Rome 500 A.D. So the key piece of the puzzle here is to identify what is this rock, what is the rock that keeps being talked about? Verse 34, uh, Daniel talks about the rock. Verse 35, the rock. If you slide down to verse 45, he talks about the rock, okay? Not talking about Dwayne Johnson here, okay? Uh, several Bible passages speak of the rock. Psalm 118, 22. I'll give you a few. I think we'll put them up here too. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, the burial stone, folks. Romans 9, 33. See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who trusts in him, the rock, will never be put to shame. Acts 4, 10 to 4. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, he is the stone, the builders you rejected, which you has become your capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. 
1 Peter 2, 6-8. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Jesus will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those of you who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. That's the gravestone. When you're de- a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. So, question, who's the rock? Who, who's the rock biblically, not created by human hands? And the answer is, who, who is the rock? Tell me. Jesus Christ is the rock. So, when Daniel's writing here, he, he's writing about the rock. Daniel 2, verse 44, the kingdom of Jesus will never be destroyed. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is one that cannot be destroyed. Daniel 2.35, Jesus the rock becomes a huge mountain and his kingdom fills the entire earth. Now, inquiring minds always want to know this question. Oh, so Jesus is the, the fifth king of the last and final dominating kingdom that will rule the entire earth. When is that going to happen? When, when is that going to happen, Pastor Jeff? Because I really want to write it down and, and I want to have it on my calendar. Okay, I want to tell you a couple thoughts, okay? Um, throughout church history, every generation has been convinced that Jesus is coming back in their lifetime. You look back at Peter and Paul and John, they seem convinced that Jesus could return while they're, and every generation now, for the last 2,000 years, convinced he's coming back. He's coming back while I'm still alive. So you just need to understand that. And, and can I tell you that's intentional? It's exactly how the Lord wants us to live. He wants us to believe he could come back today. Every generation has thought that. It got really interesting, though, when in 1948, Israel became a nation... And there's some references, and while this generation is alive, and biblically a generation is how long, anybody know? Forty years. Forty years. Okay. So they're, they're saying you, you do a little bit of arithmetic, 48 become a state, then surely then uh, maybe 1988, that means Jesus is coming back in 1988, right? Because it has to be. I, I can do my math. 48 to become a state, 40 years. And I'm telling you what, in 1988... Christianity went nuts for a little while. Books were written, uh, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back. We, I was a youth pastor um, back at that time. I'm telling you, people pulled money out of savings, out of their retirement, IRA accounts. Because why? Because Jesus is coming back. Because it says in the generation, and, and I'm just telling you, people went crazy. But they forgot one key verse, Matthew 24, verse 36. So you want to know the answer to the question, when's Jesus, when, when is this kingdom going to happen? Here's what Jesus said. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels of heaven. Not even the Son. I choose to not know. Could Jesus know it? Yes. But he said, you know what? It's, that's, that's up to the Father. When the Father gives me the nod, I'm ready to go. Okay, so here's what I need to tell you. If anybody tells you they know when Jesus is going to re- they start giving you a date, you can be thinking in your head, they think they know more than Jesus. 
Because Jesus said, I don't even know the day. So you just think in your head, if anybody says, oh yeah, he's coming back in uh, October of this year, you just be thinking, no, Jesus, Jesus chooses not to know. He doesn't know, and I know they don't know either. So, so when is it going to happen? You ready? When the Father looks to Jesus and said, it's time, son. That's when it's going to happen. We don't know. Every generation through church history thought it was going to happen in their lifetimes. Okay, conclusions. What uh, conclusions should we draw from Daniel chapter 2? What are the lingering lessons that we should grab a hold of? Okay, you ready? First is this. I'm going to give you three. First, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who raises up kings and princes and prime ministers and presidents, and he alone is the one who knocks them down. So sometimes we get all bent on who our president is or who's, who's in charge in China or, or who's in charge in this country. And here's what you need to know. Whoever's in charge, Jesus raised them up. And when his time is complete, Jesus is going to say, that's enough. You're done. You're done. You're gone. Uh, enough of you. Uh, uh, he, he said very clearly in this chapter, you see the Lord Jesus, the God of Scripture, has the whole world in his hands. Okay? He's in control. He said, you know what, Nebi? You're going to be the greatest king on earth, there ever human king there ever was, but that's enough. I'm going to use the Medes and the Persians to come and overthrow your kingdom and your son. And then when he's had enough of the Medes and Persians, okay, Alexander the Great, go on in. I'm going to raise you up for a while. And then when he's had enough of the Greeks, then he says, okay, Caesars, Roman Caesars, go on in. The Lord knows what he's doing. The Lord is in control. And I'm just telling you, if you'll get it in your head and get it down, uh, settle on the foundation, our God is in control. He knows what he's doing. He has a plan and a purpose. He's never failed us. He never will. And we can trust him with, with what's going on. I'm telling you what, that does a whole lot of things to wipe away fear and anxiety and, oh no, what's going to happen if so-and-so gets elected? What's going to happen if this happens in this No, no, God knows what he's doing. <laughs> and, and you see that here. Second, here's the second, I think, key lesson. We can trust and depend on God's word, the Bible. I'm just telling you, this is the most trustworthy and accurate book Ever, because it was inspired by God himself. With accuracy and precision, track with me, with intricate detail, he shows Nebuchadnezzar, here's what's going to happen for the next thousand years. And that's exactly what happened. That, that's the part that, that atheists, agnostics, skeptics, liberal scholars hate about Daniel. With, with precision... Um, he predicted it, and it came about exactly as he wrote it down, okay? Now, today people say, no, the Bible's just a document created by rich, powerful males to maintain their power base, okay? 
That, that's, that's the narrative currently right now. So here's my question. If this is just a human document, how on earth did Daniel predict in such detail the next four kingdoms? How, how on earth was he able to do that? I quote Dr. David Jeremiah, one of my favorites, by the way. Highly recommend listening to him, okay? Here, here's what he says. When Nebi dreamed this dream, Persia was a Babylonian state like Puerto Rico or Guam, okay? So when he dreamed it, you're thinking, well, of course, you know, he could figure it out because, you know, the Medes and the Persians, they, no, no, they, they were like little nothings at that particular time. When Daniel interpreted this dream, the Greeks were nothing but a bunch of warring tribes. There was no one that would look at them and said, oh, yeah, in about uh, 700 years, you're going to be a dominant. No, you wouldn't have said that. You would... And when Nebi dreamed this dream, Rome was just a medium-sized village on the Tiber River. Okay? The dream and its interpretation is a God thing. And when you look at God's Word, it's, it's details like that. You say, you know what? This book can be trusted. When you, when you look at with the precision and, and uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and there, that's why they're so controversial. And oh, by the way, that, that's why Daniel was like the last thing ever released about the Dead It shows that it was actually written hundreds of years before those events actually took place. And, and some folks didn't want that out there, okay? You understand? So again, you look at this and you say, no, that's a book I can build my life on. Third lesson, and uh, this might be the most important one, the stone of Christ has been cut out. And it's just waiting for the Father to say, it's time to be rolled out, okay? Jesus Christ is the rock Jesus is the massive stone that's going to come back and rule and reign in power and glory. Where do you see that? Turn to Revelation 19, and you can do a little reading this week, and you'll see when that final kingdom is going to be unleashed, and who's the rock, who's the king, who's the controller? Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's in control of all of our futures. He's in control of this planet and here's the truth. We kind of have a choice. We can look at Jesus Christ and say, ah, no, thank you. I, I get it, and I might even buy into that, that perhaps, but, but I think I want to do my own thing. I want to be my own boss. I'm going to call my own shots. Then you're saying, one day when that rock comes, uh, that rock will smash everything that rejects him. You understand? You know, he is the lion. We like the lamb. Oh, lovey, cuddly, Jesus is my friend. But he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's got two sides to him. He, he's got the, he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's that good shepherd who walks through the good day. That's the nice, that, that's kind of the, the soft side, but there's the hard side. And he is the rock. And if you reject him, then you, along with everything else that rebels and says, get away from then you will be smashed by the rock. <laughs> or, or, 
Here's the other choice. You can bow before the King of Kings. You can say, you know what, Jesus? <laughs> I, I, I want to start living today in a prepared way. I'm going to get prepared for your return. So I close with this question. What's your master today? What, what has your allegiance? What has your time, your focus? Here, here's a good uh, question to ask. Where's most of your time, talent, and treasure going towards? That'll probably tell you, reveal what your master is. And I just want you to know, you, you'll know by who your master is, where's your time, your talent, your treasure going towards? Is Jesus? And you, some of you say, oh yeah, oh yeah, I got my fire insurance, I got my ticket to heaven. Is Jesus uh, your master? I, I'm not talking about, have you said yes to Jesus? I'm saying in your everyday lives, is Jesus your king? Is Jesus your Lord? And, and do you see that in, in where your attention and where your devotion is. And I could list a whole, I have a whole bunch of things that are options, but I think you understand there, there could be thousands of things that take the place of Jesus. I just want to tell you, why on earth, if he is the king, the rock, the king of kings, and he's going to rule and reign for all of you, why wouldn't we want to start living for him today? That's the challenge. Will you make him the priority today? The rock Jesus is about to roll. Get ready. Get ready. Let's pray. Would you just pause for a moment and invite Jesus to take his book and apply it to your life right now? Lord, we talked about a lot of stuff here in Daniel 2, but I, I want to hear from you. How, how does this relate and apply to me today? Speak, Lord, I'm listening. Lord, you deserve to be on the throne of each and every one of our lives and hearts and minds. Everybody who's with us here in person, everybody who's watching online. Lord, you took all the garbage and disobedience and rebellion, everything that any of us have ever said in pride and foolishness and selfishness. You became sin for us on the cross. Lord, this passage just reminds us that you're in control. No matter what's going on in this world, no matter what we face in our personal lives, Lord, you have a plan and purpose. You have that for kings and kingdoms. And I'm grateful, Lord, you do have a soft side. You're, you're always with us. You're the friend that sticks closer than a brother. You're the good shepherd that walks through good days and bad. So, Lord, help us to get on, on and enjoy the fact that you're with us, you love us, you'll never leave us. Help us to make our priorities and our passions you, you. And Lord, I want to praise you that your book, the Bible, is true and trustworthy. 
And a lot of us here, Lord, we'd agree with that. Yep. But we're not very hungry for it. We don't read it that often. We don't feast. We don't study. We don't memorize this amazing book you've given us. Would you give us the passion and the strength to start digging in? Make us hungry, Lord, for your word. And then give us the determination to put it to practice in our lives. Close by praying for those who are here today, those who are watching online. Lord, I suspect there's some who've never said yes to the rock, Jesus Christ. There's probably some here or watching who've never opened the door of their lives and invited Jesus to be king and Lord and boss and savior and friend. Right now, choice of your will, faith saying, Lord, I, I've never said yes to you. I've never opened the door to my heart. But right now, Jesus, I'm going to ask you to come on in. I, I believe you took my place on the cross, shed your blood for my greatest problem in life. I'm a sinner. Took my place in the tomb in an early Sunday morning literally, bodily, physically, victoriously, Jesus, I believe you arose from the dead. For me, as an act of faith, I open the door of my life. I receive you as my king, my savior, my friend. Make me one of your kids today. If you make that decision today, if you're watching online, would you let us know, call us. Contact our website. We'd love to get you a Bible, get you some good information, some good reading material to get you started on that journey. If you're here today, let somebody know. We'll do the same for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for being here with us today in your church. It's in Jesus' amazing name we pray. Amen.